Have you heard the story about the man and a horse? A strong horse is galloping quickly, and it appears that the man on the horse is going somewhere important. His jaw is clenched, and he is gripping the reins with both hands. A woman, standing alongside the road, shouts, Where are you going? And the man replies, I don't know. Ask the horse. Is this your story? The horse is a metaphor for the unreflective passions and desires that move our lives. And if I'm honest, this is my story on most days. And maybe on more days than I'd like to admit, my life and schedule are driven by outside forces. The force of pleasing others or unreflective desires within me or the habit of busyness drags me through the day. This busyness in our culture has become a habit, a sort of something that unreflectively we do over and over in this sort of ideology within us that busyness is a good thing, a thing to be valued, a thing to be sought after. That laziness is something contrary to who we should be, right? And before we know it, we can't slow down because we've conditioned our very bodies to thinking that we have to be on the go, that this is the right thing to do. And before we know it, this sort of horse is driving our life. There's this struggle that's going on within us, this war, if you will. And many of us are unaware of it. We just keep going and going and going. Because don't we feel anxious and guilty if we aren't working or doing something to promote our work? We are driven and talk consistently as a culture about how busy we are and how there is not enough time to do what we wish or what we want to do with our life. And our lives and the lives of our closest friends and family are characterized by this dizzying chaos. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Have you experienced this yourself? For those of us who are willing to admit that this is a problem, Tim Kreider's essay, Lazy, a Manifesto, issues an indictment. He, now, he uses the third-person plural they in the quote that I'm about to quote, but go ahead and insert the first person I, or if it makes you feel a little bit better, because we're all in this together, you can put the first person plural we, if you are courageous enough to admit that the following quote is true about you. He writes, they are busy, or remember, I am busy, or we are busy, because of their own ambition, or drive, or anxiety, because they are addicted to busyness, and dread what they might have to face in its absence. This is a quote worth repeating. So I'm going to slow down and say it one more time, and I'm going to put the we plural for this quote. We are busy because of our own ambition, or drive, or anxiety, because we are addicted to busyness and dread what we might have to face in its absence. Is he right? What would we be if we had to face the absence? Is ambition or anxiety the engine of our lives? See, I've become convinced over the last several years that ambition, anxiety, greed, or people-pleasing is not a sustainable fuel for our lives. 
In fact, I've experienced personally in my body with just of extreme burnout, of extreme fatigue, of, of almost a, a type of depression that living our life at this pace and with these motives will eventually leave us empty, frustrated, and burned out. To, to use a kind of a, a pun of a metaphor to, that harkens back to the original story, how do we get off this horse? How do we take control of these reins? What would happen if we learn the art of slowing down, of stopping, of listening to our lives again? Kreider suggests in this essay that we face our desires honestly and choose a more intentional way of life. I sympathize with his conclusions, but find it unrealistic and unhealthful, given our interconnection to others, our blind commitment to our cultural values, and just sort of like the state of the human condition. I don't think it's as simple as just a willing or just a simple choice, but I want to suggest a more profoundly practical idea of how to begin to change these rhythms, these patterns, these habits, but a way that seems sort of simplistic. So what I want to do is suggest it and then sort of drive into the depth of this suggestion. I want to suggest that in order for us to counter, to get off this horse, we need to learn the art of breathing. Breath is a profound metaphor within the Bible and within other world religions. It's a metaphor for a divine presence, for a sort of the sacrednesses coming upon this earth, and for a divine human intimacy. So in the very first book of the Bible, the book that seeks, seeks to um, describe how all of this came into being, not a scientific textbook, but a sense of poetry, it says these words, Then the Lord God formed man and woman from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And then contrasting that in the very end of the Bible, in the Gospel of John, a, a book that starts off echoing Genesis and its amazing creation narrative, it says this about Jesus who comes. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So we see from the beginning and the first pages of the Bible to towards the end of the Bible, this metaphor for the sacred's presence upon the earth and this metaphor for divine human intimacy. And the logic of the art of breathing, which sets into motion the history of spirituality and the history of mysticism is this, the inflow of God's breath gives humans life and attentiveness of breath leads us back to God or the divine, or the sacred. So you have this beautiful logic. The inflow of God's breath gives humans life, and attentiveness to breath leads us back to the source of life. So Maximus the Confessor, an early Eastern Christian monk and theologian, wrote, God is breath. What a profound thought and statement for us to think about. Every time we breathe, every inflow and outflow we are reuniting ourselves back with God. We are remembering the source of our very life, the very gift of breath. At every second, at every minute, we return back to that originating love that we were created with. Theophilus of Antioch, another early Eastern Christian monk wrote, God has given to the earth the breath which feeds it. It is his breath that gives life to all things. 
And I remember when I read this beautiful creation quote, this quote that claims that even the plants and the grass and the, the beautiful trees and the birds of the air all are the divine, are the recipients of this divine breath. And so that quote, just once again, the beginning of it, God has given to the earth the breath which feeds it. Every living thing upon this earth is being sustained by God's breath. So that's when I began to write uh, the next poem that we're going to play in this track in just a second. And I, read, I wrote these words, Stand still and breathe the aroma of fresh evergreen, the damp bark and mossy earth. With each breath, greet the troubles gripping your heart. Theophilus of Antioch, he also said this, his breath, meaning the divine breath, vibrates in yours, in your voice. It is the breath of God that you breathe and you are unaware of it. So I find it profoundly beautiful, these early Christian thinkers on the power of a breath to reunite you to the divine. St. John of the Cross saying in the history of Christianity, one of the most provocative, profound statements about breath says this, the soul that is united and transformed in God breathes God in God with the same divine breathing with which God, while in her, breathes her in himself. So it's a tricky quote. So I want to slow down and say it one more time for you. The soul that is united and transformed in God breathes God in God with the same divine breathing with which God, while in her, breathes her in himself. Beautiful, profound thought of the power of breath to bring us into a divine union with God. So what would happen if we learn the art of breathing? It's easy and difficult, this sort of becoming conscious of that in-out flow in your body. When you wake at noontime as the day wears on, and then again as you come to dinner, and then before you go to bed, morning, noon, and night, and times in between there where you just need to breathe, every breath, every minute of this day taking on a divine sacredness. Could this help us to slow down, stop, and listen? The poem, A Little Exercise That Could Change Your Life, is an invitation to the art of breathing. It's an invitation to care for yourself, to walk and breathe and live and breathe and to look around and be present to your life again, to feed your soul with the kindness that created the entire world. Make a trail with your feet. Climb, climb a small mountain until a great tree welcomes you. Its fallen pine needles, the earth's red carpet, its royal branches, a sacred shelter, its sprawling roots, a replenishing anchor. Stand still and breathe. The aroma of fresh evergreen, the damp bark and mossy dirt. With each breath, greet the troubles gripping your heart. 
You're a temple of wounds and wonders. Keep breathing in every day. Climb. Climb the forest outside your mind. Inhale pure air and exhale dark smoke until the burdens of your body are comforted by a silent kindness.